we sing, um, I think there's a bit of a theme as we do the book of Ruth is that um, God is sovereign um, and he reveals his way. So would you stand as we sing Sovereign Over Us? Good evening, everyone. And I'm going to say Happy New Year because it is the first time I've been at church here anyway in the new year. I've been away for the last couple of weeks uh, on holidays, but it's really good to be back uh, amongst you. Um, It'd be handy for me and very helpful for you as well if you have opened your Bibles to page uh, 267. Uh, The book of Ruth is the part of Scripture that we're going to look at together over the coming, well, this evening and the two following weeks. Uh, and it'll be handy just to have that there to follow along uh, together with me. Well, Ruth is a book that's, at least in part, a book about what it looks like to walk away from God in search of greener pastures. It's a book about the struggle of returning to God even in the midst of what feels like hopelessness. It's a book that explores the kind of hollowed-out bitterness and grief that often comes with us having pretty low expectations of God himself. I don't know how you've started off the year, whether you've got grand expectations of God or whether your expectations of God and his dealings with you or his stance towards you have taken a bit of a beating, a bit knocked around. But that's exactly where this story of Ruth begins. It begins with a whole family who've already made the decision to walk away from God. Uh, Have a look at how the Bible itself sets a scene for us in those first couple of verses of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, there's no great mystery, existential mystery about why it is that this family have left home, left Israel, why they've walked away from God and headed somewhere else. There's a famine in the land of Israel. Uh, There's still food to be found in the neighbouring land of their enemies, the Moabites, and so that's exactly where they've headed. Uh, In one sense, it's hardly a surprising move, is it? Uh, People have always relocated and migrated from one place to the next in order to secure a more secure future for their families. Maybe that's how some of your own families came here to Australia, with exactly that kind of aspiration. And yet going to Moab for this family meant leaving Israel, God's promised land for his people, the Jews the land that God had given to his people Israel, the land in which God had promised he would provide for his people. Elimelech, Naomi, along with the boys, decide to walk away and seek better fortunes in the enemy territory of Moab. They gamble on attempting to secure their own future blessing, but in doing so, they're walking away from God's promises. They're walking away from God himself. It's a gamble that probably most of us have likely considered taking 
at least at one point or another, wondered whether we might be able to secure our future better, taking our own direction. Perhaps there have been years of desperate prayer, but still no improvement in our own health. And so we walk away from God just to avoid having to endure further disappointment year after year. Maybe there's been years of turning up to meet with God's people here in church on Sundays, maybe even in a midweek group throughout the week, years spent listening to other people's struggles and difficulties, but during our own time of despair, we feel ourselves ignored, overlooked by others, and we can't help but question why God hasn't provided for us in the situation that we now find ourselves in. And we feel that God has just left us empty. Maybe we only began edging away from God in just one small area of life, but now we discover the whole life of faith has dropped far behind us, far out of view over the distant horizon, and it's completely out of view altogether for us. It seems like something like this has ended up happening for Elimelech and Naomi. Have a look with me as it continues on, verse 3 verse 3, we read, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. I wonder if you notice how many times Moabites are mentioned in this passage. It's over and over again. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Marlon and Kilian also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. There's a whole universe of grief in just those couple of verses, aren't there? There's the immediate and obvious grief of the bereavement three times over for that one family. But we also notice that what started out as a temporary trip to Moab, I don't know if you noticed this first couple of verses, they just went there to live there for a while. Here in the next few verses, we already realise that a decade, more than a decade has passed by. What had started out as just being temporary has somewhere along the line become a permanent arrangement. Uh, And when we read that Naomi's sons marry Moabite women, the alarm bells should really be sounding in our heads, especially if we're familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. If there could have been a worse decision than leaving the promised land to begin with, then this was it. God had warned his people as they entered into the promised land to not take wives from the unbelieving nations around about them. Look at these words from Deuteronomy chapter 7, words that were spoken just as they were getting ready to enter into this promised land that Naomi and her family have just recently left. Chapter 7, verse 3, Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. We're going to come back to this theme a little bit more throughout the book of Ruth. And in fact, some of these attitudes towards the surrounding nations, the Moabites particularly, are going to be a little bit of a surprising theme throughout the remainder of the story. But Israel were to make sure that nothing would compromise their relationship, their faithfulness to their God. Yet Elimelech and Naomi risk it all thinking that they're in a better position to guarantee their family security than God is. Now, of course, we have far less control than we like to think 
over the direction that our own planning and scheming will ultimately take. And now Naomi finds herself, despite all the best plans, without a husband or sons, and finding herself without either a husband or sons, Naomi also now will find herself with no access to her inheritance that is back in Israel. She had no way of accessing it or reusing the land that might have otherwise belonged to her family. That's going to be a real problem for her, we'll see in coming chapters. Naomi walked away. She walked away from the land of God's promise. She walked away from God himself. And instead of finding security or fulfillment, it's disaster that's greeted her. And it's a decision from which there seems to be no obvious or easy or direct way back. Now, of course, in God's amazing kindness, that's not where the story ends. And although Naomi walked away, she doesn't stay away. She does return, even though, as we'll see, it's no happy return at all. Uh, The rest of the chapter, actually, is devoted to Naomi's painful, her bitter experience of returning to God. Uh, Have a look with me from verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. In verse 6, we read that Naomi and her daughters-in-law decide to return because the Lord had come to the help or the Lord had come to the aid of his people Israel. Uh, Literally that phrase, the Lord coming for the help of his people, is God has visited his people. Now it means the same thing. The only reason I point out literally this meaning of God has visited his people is because it is a phrase that is repeated again and again throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New, at some really key and pivotal moments in their history of being God's special chosen people. In Genesis, God visits Abraham and Sarah, an elderly barren couple who can't have kids and therefore have no hope of having descendants. And God's visit starts a chain reaction that leads to the miraculous birth of a son and provides their descendants who become the entire nation of Israel itself. In Exodus, we read how God visited his people Israel while they were slaves in Egypt at the hand of Pharaoh. Here God's visit starts a chain reaction that frees them from slavery and then leads them back to the promised land, giving them possession of their own land, their own country, their own nation. And here in Ruth, when God visits Israel, he doesn't only end the famine, he starts a chain reaction of everyday events that results in an amazing blessing for Naomi, for Israel, and ultimately we'll see even for us ourselves. The New Testament says that God's visit to Israel at that point has significance for us as Christian believers. We'll come to terms with that when we get to week three. But even though God's visit to Israel convinces Naomi to come home, you don't really get the feeling, do you, that it's a happy homecoming. Although God has amazingly visited his people Israel... Naomi doesn't personally expect things to get any better for her. And that's why she tries to send her daughter-in-laws back home to their own country. She tries to discourage them 
from coming with her. Uh, have a look with me, verse 11. Uh, the, the two daughters-in-law have said that they're going to come with her. Verse 11. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who, who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Notice that Naomi has not yet learnt from her original mistake. She still imagines that the only way for Orpha and Ruth to find hope and security is to stay in Moab and find another husband there. Exactly the same mistake that she had tragically made for her own two now deceased sons. Because Naomi doesn't expect to experience God's kindness for herself, she tells the girls that there's no hope back in Israel for them either. Tragically, scandalously, Naomi tries to turn these widowed pagan women away from the only God who could provide them lasting security. In fact, so entrenched is her bitterness that in verse 19 to 21, we see that Naomi changes her name from Naomi to Mara, which means bitter. Have a look with me, verse 19. Um, in the intervening verses, we've read that Orpha has decided to take her advice and go back to Moab, look for a husband there. Ruth has said she's going to go with Naomi. Verse 19 is where we pick it up. So the two women, that is, Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Naomi doesn't think that she's just going through a bit of a rough spot. She holds out zero hope for her own future. I wonder if you've ever felt the same way, ever been at a point in which God's goodness and generosity seems to have slipped completely from view for you. That's not an unusual experience for those who are God's people. Even some of the authors of the scriptures, the, the psalmist wrote of occasions in which God's goodness seemed to have completely vanished from view. The Lord Jesus prayed it from the cross himself. He could not see any evidence of God's goodness, though the Lord Jesus himself didn't disbelieve. God may have visited Israel, but Naomi doesn't expect to have any share in its benefits for herself. Bitterness is what results when we perceive evidence of God's kindness shown towards everyone else other than ourselves. That's the seed of 
bitterness. But not only does Naomi return feeling bitter, she returns empty. She says in verse 21, I left full, but the Lord brought me back empty. That's a real change, isn't it? She, she had been saying previously that it was because of her emptiness, her empty stomach, her lack of food, that she had originally left Israel. Now she says, actually, I left Israel full. I'm returning genuinely empty. She'd hoped that by going to Moab, she'd become full. Now she recognises she had things all back to front. The emptiness that she returns to Israel with is an emptiness of the soul. It's an emptiness that gnaws at her more relentlessly than any empty stomach could ever trouble her. She returns with no husband, no sons, no inheritance. That is no official place in the land that she's returning to. As I was reading chapter 1 of Ruth, it reminded me of that parable that Jesus spoke about, the parable of the prodigal son. There seemed to be quite a few resonances between the son's returning home and Naomi's returning home. I wonder if you can recognise them. Like the prodigal son in Jesus' parable, Naomi returns unaware of the blessings that God yet has in store to show towards her. Like the prodigal son in Jesus' parable, Naomi returns humbled and broken, not expecting God to show her any further kindness. Like the prodigal son in Jesus' parable, Naomi's return to God might seem to really promise very little hope of any changed or improved fortunes. And friends, there might be times when we're faced with a decision of whether or not to return to God where our prospects look just as bleak as that. For Naomi, it was God's gracious visit to his people that brought her back, even though she didn't expect to share in it. But what's going to bring us back in those moments? When did God ever visit us in our distress? When did God ever visit us and coax us back under his caring wings? Of course, God's visit recorded here in Ruth wasn't the final visit that God ever made to his people, Israel. Uh, In Luke chapter 1, reading about the announcement, the news of Jesus' birth, Zechariah the priest declared that God has visited his people. That is, God has come to the help of his people. In Luke chapter 7, the other passage that Julianne read for us this evening, it described this despair of a widow who Jesus went out and met, a widow who was just exiting a city with her dead son being carried out before her. And Jesus raises that son from the dead. And can you remember how the crowds responded when they witnessed this son being given back to his bereaved widowed mother? They declare, God has come to the help. God has visited his people. Exactly the same phrase used in speaking of God visiting Abraham and Sarah, God visiting his people Israel as they were slaves in Egypt, God visiting his people in Ruth as they suffered from famine. When God visited Israel in today's story, it was famine that they're freed from. But in Luke's gospel, God's visit in the person of Jesus frees us from the shadow of death cast by our own sin. That's what the prophet, that's what the priest Zechariah declared, that this visitation of God would bring freedom from sin, freedom from the shadow of death. 
In Naomi, we received this heartbreaking affirmation that for those who walk away from God, it will only deepen our emptiness. It'll only further fuel our bitterness. Perhaps having already walked away from God, some of us feel like we've got no right to really dare think about returning. Perhaps others of us have only just noticed in ourselves those very first steps of walking away from God. And if that is us, if we see anything, whether it be a little bit or a lot of Naomi in ourselves, today's passage urges us to come back to God, who is not distant but has visited, has come close. God has visited us with his compassion in the person of Jesus. God is never indifferent to our deepest shame, insecurities or bitterness. And like Naomi, we don't have to come back to God optimistic happy, chirpy about how things are going. I know often we walk into church with the expectation that that's what we're going to need to communicate to the first person who asks how we're going. But that's not how Naomi returns to God. Perhaps like Naomi, we can't yet see what possible comfort Jesus does have to offer us in our own darkness, in our own current emptiness or bitterness. Just like Naomi, we can come back empty and bitter if that's how we feel. We can come back expecting nothing from God if we must. If we can't think of any better reason, we can come back just because we know that everything else has failed us. Bring all your bitterness and emptiness back to God with you if you need to. But the book of Ruth just urges us, it's simply enough to come back. But do rest assured our return certainly isn't going to be overlooked by God. It's not going to go unnoticed by Him. Our return won't be met with cold indifference by God, as we'll see in coming weeks. We might come back with very low expectations of God Himself. We might come back very doubtful that God has got very little to offer us or even others around about us but God will show in his having visited that when he does, he gives us all of himself. And we'll see that shown in remarkable ways in the coming two weeks. How about we pray? Uh, dearest Father, we do confess that there are occasions in which we ourselves have walked away. Uh, perhaps, Father, we've not taken steps that anyone else could have witnessed perhaps our turning away has only been in our own hearts perhaps father our turning away has been more obvious and any thought of return brings with it greater shame and hesitation and yet father we thank you that you have not turned away from us but that you have visited in the person of jesus those who had turned their backs on you Father, we ask that in your visit in Jesus, we would see all that we need to see in order to take those first turns and steps back towards you. Father, we ask that you would strengthen us to keep on returning to you, even where our own hearts still bear the marks of bitterness, even where we struggle 
to believe that there is anything for us to find in returning to you, even, Father, when we're tempted to discourage others from taking those same steps that we're just starting out on ourselves. Father, we ask that you would help us to return to you. And in your visiting in the Lord Jesus, we would find comfort and grace and kindness from you that we never dared hope to receive or have a share in ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, shortly we're going to be um, sharing in the Lord's Supper. Um, 